Well, it's great to be back in Acadiana. Uh, I grew up just across the state line in Port Arthur, Texas. Port Arthur. Went to school with all the Thibodeaux and Fontenot, Boudreaux, Stereos, all the whole crew. I think I have web feet too, like uh, like a lot of you guys do. But it's great, great to, great to be back here. Praise God. This is some event, isn't it? I mean, these kind of events don't just happen. This is some kind of an event. Uh, I've been coming here to this church now for over 33 years, and I helped Brother Francis Martin start this event many, many years ago. And uh, it's grown and become so, such a wonderful community activity. Great to be here. Uh, <clears throat> how many duck hunters do we have in here? Let me see some hands. We've got, oh, you've got a lot of duck hunters. How many do we have in here that own a Labrador Retriever? How many are that? Okay. Over here, here, here. Okay, we got a lot of owners of labs in here. Uh, I have a lab. She's a six-year-old yellow named Annie. And uh, to me, the Labrador Retriever is just an unbelievable kind of dog. Annie is really my girlfriend. Uh, Beth says you have baby number one and baby number two. Annie's supposed to be baby number two, but she says sometimes I think Annie is baby number one because of, of the attention she gets. But she's... When I hunt doves, I just sit on the stool. I never have to move. She, she goes and gets the doves, comes and sits right beside me. Shoot ducks, never have to move. She goes and gets some brings. Rides with me in the front of the truck. I started that little habit a few years ago. And so she sits over in her seat or she lays down, puts her head on my legs so I can rub her ears. And uh, just just a real, real pal. And uh, then when somebody goes hunting with me and sits in the front seat, she has to ride in the back of the box. And she'll bark the whole way. And so the first time that happened, uh, my neighbor who hunts with me sometime, Pastor Tom Ray, said, Why's, why is Annie barking? I said, because you're in her seat. And uh, so it's, it's, uh, I just have a great time with her. You know, talk about labs. You probably uh, heard about the guy that uh, went to the doctor, and uh, he, he was just convinced that something was bad wrong with him. Maybe maybe I got cancer. I don't know. I think, I'm, I think I'm really sick. And so he went to the doctor, and the doctor uh, felt his pulse, Took his blood pressure, said, open your mouth, stick your tongue out, and say, ah, ah. Said, okay, I think you're healthy. That'd be $100 for the exam. He said, well, aren't you going to do more than that? You didn't do much. He said, okay. So the doctor goes back in the back room, comes out with a black lab. And he walks all around him with the lab and takes the lab back in the back room, comes back out with a cat. Puts the cat there on him, lets the cat rub up against the guy. You know how cats do, we'll rub up against you. Takes the cat back to the back room and hands him a bill, so that'd be uh, $1,900. He said, what? $100 for the exam, $800 for the lab work, and $800 for the cat skin. <laughs> well, I, I want to talk to you tonight about snakes. That sounds like a very inspiring topic, doesn't it? Snakes. I hate snakes. Now, I uh, maybe it's because the first time the devil shows up in the Bible, he shows up as a snake, right? I don't know, but I hate snakes. Now, I'm not as bad as some people who say the only good snake is a dead snake. I will let rat snakes and coach whips and the non-poisonous, I'll try to let them get away. But I hate poisonous snakes. I hate rattlesnakes. I hate cottonmouths. I hate... Copperheads, I hate coral snakes. Uh, you know, the first aid for snake bite has changed a lot since I was in the Boy Scouts. 
my Boy Scout manual, the, the, the way you dealt with snake bite in those days was if you got bit by a snake, then they you put a tourniquet on to slow the blood flow to the heart. And then what'd you do? You cut those little X's right over the fang marks, right? And then you suck the poison out. Well, they, they've, they've quit all that now. They say it's more dangerous for the cutting yourself and putting the tourniquet on than it was just Get to a hospital as quick as you can and get the antivenom. That's the cure. That's, that's the way they deal with snake bite now. But back in the days when they would, you know, cut the X's and suck the poison out, uh, Boudreau and Thibodeau went hunting. And in the dark, uh, Boudreau sit down the blind and something hit him right on the butt. And he looked down and there's a big old cotton mouth. So they shot him. And uh, Thibodeau says, man, what happened? He said, he bit me on the butt. He said, pull your pants down, man. So he pulled his pants down. Let me see. Sure enough, two big old fang marks right there on his butt. And Boudreau looked kind of got the big brown eyes like, you know, he's like he's saying, like, Thibodeau, what you going to do? And Thibodeau looks at that. He says, man, you're going to die. <laughs> Well, let me tell you a few snake stories. Any of you who've spent much time in the outdoors, you've got some snake stories. I've got quite a few of them. I'm going to tell you a few snake stories tonight. Uh, one of them is actually after I left home. Uh, our family had a camp right across the state line in Louisiana on the Sabine River at a, a place called Niblet's Bluffs. Some of you know where that is, close to Starks, Louisiana. We had a fish camp there. And uh, almost every weekend, every Friday night, we would be up there uh, setting lines on the river, setting uh, trot lines and limb lines on the river and catching catfish. So it was, it was a great time in my life growing up with spending so much time at the camp. Well, I had got married and just moved away. And but my younger brother, who was six years younger, he, he and dad were still fishing. They were still uh, going to the camp, setting lines and all. And he told me, he said, not long after you got married moved away, he said, we were, we were uh Running the lines one night, and uh, we had a limb line in a big bushy, bushy tree over here, and we started in there, and there's a big cottonmouth hanging there, right there in the, in the, in the tree. And uh, in the boat was my brother Wayne and my dad and a friend named Lester who had a camp next to us. Lester's kind of a rambunctious type guy. And so they started moving in, and they saw that snake, and my dad said, don't fool with the snake. We'll just ease in there beside him. Bait the line, get out. Well, they pulled in there. Lester grabs a paddle and he whacks that cotton mouth. Well, you know what happened? It ended up in the boat. Now they got a cotton mouth that's striking at them in the boat. And, uh, Lester just went berserk. He grabbed, he took that paddle and he began to smash that snake, just beating it. And the paddle is just flat splinters are flying everywhere. And, uh, when, when he gets through murdering that snake, he has about two feet left of the paddle. Now my dad had made those paddles. He had cut them out of a mulberry stump and custom made, he had handmade those paddles, varnished them, and he is so mad. My dad didn't get mad very often. And Wayne said, he said, Lester, why did you have to do that? You almost got a snake bit. You tore my paddle to pieces and said, just why can't you just behave? So that's a cotton mouth in the, in the boat. That's not a, not a very good thing to have. Uh, Several years ago, I was walking one morning just from, from our house. I have a lane I walk to the mailbox and back. It's about a, 
almost a mile walk if you put the two going and coming. And a, a big coral snake crawled across the road in front of me. And I didn't have a stick. I didn't have anything to whack him with. So I took my phone. I called Beth. I said, honey, there's a big coral snake down here on the road. Bring my 410. She said, I'm not dressed. I said, it don't matter. Just jump in the car and bring my 410. <laughs> so she jumps in the car with her pajamas on and uh, brings me my, my 410. By that time, the snake had crawled on across the road out into the pasture into the grass. But, you know, coral snake very colorful. I can still see his color. And uh only thing I couldn't see with the head, but I knew where the head was. So I took the 410, shot, shot the head off, and hung that snake on the fence and uh, took a picture. You know, most coral snakes, 18 inches, two feet is a pretty good one. This one was three feet long. It's a big coral snake and a uh, real colorful, big. And so I took a picture, and a guy called me and said, Hey, he said, if you had known, he said, I would have took that snake and tanned that hide for you and made you a nice hat band or something. He said, next time you kill one, give me a call. Well, I hadn't killed one since, so I uh, hadn't seen another one. Uh, another snake story is right next door to me. Uh, my next door neighbor is named Tom Ray. He's married to a lady named Kathy. And uh, he doesn't know beans about the outdoors. When he moved next door to me, he didn't know anything. I, I, I got him duck hunting now. I've got him bass fishing. I got him. He really, his wife said, you're ruining my husband. But uh, anyway, he doesn't know anything about snakes, which one, one snake from another. Well, he was up out in the yard and they saw a snake in the flower bed. So they decided they'd put it in a five gallon bucket. So they got a bucket over there and got a stick and started trying to put it in the bucket. And Kathy said he was opening his mouth with real white and strike it like this. And she said, we didn't know what kind it was, you know. They finally got it in the bucket, carried it down to the river. We live on the river and dumped it over the fence in the river. And uh, so Tom tells me about that. And he said, I didn't know what kind it was. You weren't home to, to help me figure out what type kind it was. I said, Tom, that was a cottonmouth, water moccasin. He said, yeah, I think it was. I said, you just turned the devil loose, man, into that river. Uh, let me tell you, this, this, this is a spooky one here. Uh, I was duck hunting here several years ago. I have a lease just a little ways from my house on this nice lake. And I was uh, laying down on the ground. I had on uh, breathable waders, thin waders. And I'm laying there with my feet out in front of me, uh, right, right by this slough that comes in, into the lake. And I felt something moving right down my side. It's felt coming all the way down. Uh, down my leg. I looked down, and there's a cottonmouth moccasin just sliding right. He thought I was a log, I guess, and he's just sliding right along beside me. Well, I don't know how old I was at that time. I was past 70, but I went four feet up in the air. I know that, just straight up to try to shoot him while he went went went, went in the lake. And I got got away. I didn't get to shoot him. But I, I got to thinking later, this is what really gave this is what really gave me the chills was normally I hunt in hip boots. And the hip boots don't fit very tight on the top. They're loose. Had that snake come down my side and gone into those hip boots, I would have had a real time. Uh, with, can you imagine that, a cottonmouth moccasin in your hip boot? That would not be good. Not at all. Uh, here, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, I was hunting turkeys down, I have another lease down near uh, on Cibolo Creek near Corn City, Texas. And uh, we were, I was hunting turkeys by myself. And uh, I... I had a little brush blind that I'd built, and I had a feeder back over this way. And so I wanted to check the feeder, so I laid my 
stood my browning up against the against the blind and started around to look at the feeder. The grass was not very high. It was short. All of a sudden, boom, that rattlesnake buzzed. I just stepped on him. I stepped right beside him. He buzzed. And again, I went about four feet up in the air. And uh, then I watched the grass. I couldn't see the snake, but I watched the grass moving as he's just wiggling his way right on through the grass and up to the fence row where I had my blind. And on the fence row, there's no brush. And then he, he makes a turn. And that big old snake head came out, first of all. It looked about the size of your fist. And then it looked like a train coming out of that grass, at least a six-foot rattler, crawling right along that fence. And there's my gun 15 steps away over there at the blind. Well, I ran to the blind, got the, got the gun, came, came back. By the time I can't see him, so I know he's probably in that brush there somewhere, and I'm trying to kind of look for him, but not too ambitious. Kind of take my gun barrel, looking around in there, uh, and I guess he went in a hole or disappeared. I never did, never did see him. But I, I was hunting without snake boots that day. I, I didn't even have my chaps on, so I went and bought me a good pair of snake boots. Uh, when you see a six-foot one like that, and he, you stepped on him and he's buzzed, that's a scary thing. Uh, let me tell you one more story. This one is in my book. Uh, some of you read, read the book. A lot of you have read my book, uh, God's Great Outdoors, Outdoor Stories, The Kingdom Message. This is chapter 18 of the book. And it's about a quail hunt we were on. Uh, I've got some of these books out there, if any of you want to look at it. It's a collection of 31 hunting, fishing, camping stories. And uh, I've sold thousands of this book, and you might want to pick up a copy when you leave. But uh, this is chapter 18 in my book. Uh, we were hunting. I had two hunting partners, Ronnie Carnes was with me, and a friend named Bob McNeely, and we were hunting down below San Antonio near Divine, Texas, which is really good quail country, but also this rattlesnake country. And we were hunting on this beautiful ranch. It had lots of grass, but also a lot of brush, so it was a good mixture of brush and grass, which quail quail like. And it was December the 22nd, 1988, and here it was almost Christmas, and the temperature by mid-morning had, had reached 80 degrees. Now, that's South Texas for you. I know y'all have some of that, too. It could have been 30 degrees, this is easy, or 80 degrees. That's that's just, that's South Texas. So, we weren't thinking about rattlesnakes. Matter of fact, one of the, Bob McNeely was hunting in tennis shoes. And, but that's, that's a, that's a good time to find rattlesnakes because it had been cooler the snakes had gone into their dens, and now it's warmed up to 80 degrees. Snakes are coming out of their dens, and they're sunning, laying out on the rocks or on the ground, sunning. And uh, we, we just got into a big covey of quail. We did a good job shooting the covey and scattered the birds. And my, my bird dog, Liz, is now pointing singles, and we're shooting some singles. And all of a sudden, she's running. She's quartering back and, front, back and forth in front of us looking for those singles. And all of a sudden, she goes straight up in the air, just straight up. And I knew she got on a snake. She came running to me, and about 14 inches high up in her hip are two big holes with blood coming out of them, and she's near paralyzed. The snake, it actually hit her sciatic nerve. Well, we had to get the other dog in. I had a young dog. She's, she was 11, and I had a young dog, one-year-old. It was out there still hunting, so we had to get the young dog in, get it protected. And then I went in there looking for the snake, and by that time, going back in the hole, whatever, got got, got away. But uh, I carried Liz out of the field. Uh, she's now paralyzed. 
Got back to San Marcos about, about noon, took her to the vet, and he was surprised when he saw those fang marks because it, it was a huge snake. The fang marks were one and seven-eighths inches apart. That's a big, that's a big, big rattler. And uh, he was surprised she hadn't swollen hardly any, so he said, I think she'll make it. He gave her uh, a bunch of fluids, and I took her home. But as the afternoon progressed, her breathing became more and more labored, and Later, later that night, I sat out there with her in the garage. She began to turn black. She's a white dog. She began to turn black as that poison spread all through her body. About 10 o'clock, she quit breathing and, and, and died. She died from a huge dose of hematoxic poison injected by that rattlesnake. And what, what I want to talk to you about for a minute is there is a snake, and he's called the devil or Satan, and he carries more deadly poison than any rattlesnake on planet Earth. In one fang, he wants to inject you with bitterness. And out of the other fang, he wants to inject you with unforgiveness. It's a, it's a deadly poison that he carries bitterness and unforgiveness. Uh, bitterness will kill you mentally. It'll kill you emotionally. It'll kill you spiritually. And ultimately... Bitterness and unforgiveness will affect your body. If you're carrying a lot of bitterness, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, sooner or later it will begin to affect your body. Arthritis, all kinds of diseases that come out of those, out of the soul problem, pretty soon you have a, a problem in your body. Would you agree with me that life is not always fair? Sometimes bad things happen to good people, is that right? A lot of injustices. Maybe you have a beautiful teenage girl and a drunk driver runs into her car and kills her. And he gets off with a very light sentence. That's not fair. I'll tell you what the devil wants to do. He wants to inject you with bitterness out of that event, out of that unfair happening in life. He wants to inject his poison into your life. Or maybe you go through a very bitter divorce. It's, it's not it's not good at all. And you come out of it angry and bitter and full of un unforgiveness. That's the devil injecting his poison into your life. Or maybe you have a business partner. You all working together good. And, and then it turns out that he's been stealing money and rips you off. And he ends up with all the, all the goods and you get nothing. And out of that, the, end, the snake injects you with bitterness and unforgiveness. And we could just go on and on and on with examples of how bitterness can get into our lives, that deadly, deadly poison. Uh, many years ago now, I was uh, pastoring in San Marcos, Texas, where I lived. And I had a couple come to me for counseling. They were not a part of our church. Actually, they went to the First Baptist Church in San Marcos. And they were very prominent people in the town. He was the vice president of the First National Bank, and she owned a very prosperous uh, children's school uh, for, for, for youngsters, day, daycare and children's school. And they came to me for counsel because they were embarrassed to go to their pastor. So they both knew me. I, I knew them, and they came to me for counsel. And this is what had happened. The husband, who, who I knew and, and liked, he really was a good guy, he really was, uh, had gone on a supposed hunting trip, but they had taken a girl from the bank with them. And they spent the weekend 
in the hunting camp with this girl. Just a, a, a wild weekend. Well, the wife eventually figured it out that he hadn't been on a hunting trip. That it, he had been unfaithful to her. So they came to me, and I mean, she was angry. She said, listen, I have been a good wife to him. I've washed his socks. I've washed his underwear. I have been a good wife to him. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that he did this to me. And so after I heard both of them, I heard their story, I said, Shirley, I said, you got two choices. One, you have biblical grounds for a divorce. The Bible says there's only one, one cause for divorce. That's, un, that's immorality, unfaithfulness. You have biblical grounds for divorce. Your other choice is you can forgive him and love him and keep your home together. And she looked at me with fiery eyes and she said, no, there's a third choice. She said, I'm not going to divorce him and I'm not going to forgive him. I'm going to live with him the rest of my life and make life miserable for him. Oh, you know what? Poison. She was full of poison that the enemy had injected into her because of this unfair event in life. And I only know of one anti-venom for, bit for bitterness. It's called forgiveness. It's the only anti-venom there is. And so I know some of you here tonight are carrying a lot of poison in you, a lot of bitterness, a lot of unforgiveness. It may be toward a parent, maybe toward a relative, maybe toward a business partner, maybe toward someone that you knew in a church at one time, but you're carrying a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness. And I promise you, it's more deadly than the poison that killed my pointer that day. It's a deadly, deadly poison, and you need to get it out of your life. And so I, I'm going I'm to ask us if we would to bow our heads at this time. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. We don't need to look around. But I just want to ask tonight, and you just be honest before yourself and before God, if you know you're carrying bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, I want you just to lift your hands so we can pray for you. I don't need anybody else to look around. Okay, your hands are going up. Any others? I know there's more than that. There's others. There's hands all over this auditorium of people saying, I'm carrying this poison of bitterness and unforgiveness in my life. The only antidote for that is to forgive that one who wronged you. The only, the only antidote for that is to bring forgiveness into that situation. And so what I want us to do now with our heads bowed, it's very hard to forgive if you don't have Jesus in your heart. Do you, you realize he's the one that gives us ability, he gives us the ability to forgive? Does he, did he know how to forgive when he's hanging on the cross and he looks down at those soldiers? What does he pray? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And so if Jesus is in your heart, then he'll give you the ability to forgive those who've wronged you, and to bring that antidote into your life, to get that bitterness out of you. He'll do that. So with our heads bowed, I want us just all to pray. If, it's, if you can do this from your heart, I just want us to open our hearts to Jesus tonight. Let's all just open our hearts 
And just pray after me. Just pray out loud after me. This is in your heart. Just do it. Just pray this, this prayer. Ask Him to come in. Say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against your law. I've broken your heart. But I thank you that you died for me. You took all my sins upon the cross. And I receive you now. I receive your forgiveness and I receive you into my life. You see, he rose from the dead. And now he wants to come and live on the inside of us and give us power over these things we talked about tonight. He wants to give us power over this bitterness. Give us power over this unforgiveness. Give us the ability to forgive. So we just open our hearts to you tonight, Lord Jesus. Some of you are here, big number of you are believers already, followers of Jesus. Some of you aren't. But tonight, just open your heart to him. And say, come in, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and give me the ability to forgive those who so wounded me and hurt me and disappointed me. I need the bitterness out of my life. Just ask him to do that right here. Ask him to do that here tonight. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We want to be healthy people. We want to be healthy mentally, morally, spiritually, physically, in every way. We want to be healthy. We don't want to be full of poison. So bless these tonight, Lord, who've prayed and asked you to come in and remove the bitterness. We forgive. We forgive all those who've hurt us. We forgive the wife in that bitter divorce. We forgive that one who betrayed us as we bring the antidote into our lives to heal us. We thank you. We bless you. Now we'll be here at the front at the end of this meeting after they do the drawings and all that. I'll be here. There'll be some others here. And if you would like for us to pray with you and help you to really let the Lord release the antidote of forgiveness in your life, we'll be here to pray with you. Father, we thank you and we bless you for your sweet presence tonight. We thank you. We thank you that you are the great healer. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.